Welcome to the Time Lords podcast. We go beyond the buzzwords to learn exactly how people are building the industrial internet of things and using time series data to transform the business. I'm your host, Lonnie Bowling. Today, I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Ahmad Fatahi, manager of data and AI services at Cisco, who also used to work for OSI Soft for a number of years, and that's where Ahmad and I met each other and, uh, and kind of like uh, just started out in the community and we've we've been always in touch and he's a great guy and I'm really super happy to have you here today Ahmad so um, welcome to the show and for those that and for those that uh, don't don't know you could you tell tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do sure uh, hi Lenny and hi everybody uh, thanks for having me it's a honor uh, I always enjoy Lonnie's company it's um I always say, you know, there are two types of people. Uh, type one, after you meet with them, you feel worse than before you met them. And <laughs> and type two is, is is the opposite. Lonnie is toward the extreme of the opposite, the second type. So oh, yeah, good. I always feel... <laughs> <laughs> you have, have so... me in suspense there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm really, really glad to, to be here. Yeah, so thanks for the introduction. Uh, uh, my name is Ahmad Fatahi. I uh, studied electrical engineering by education, uh, bachelor's, master's, PhD. I graduated in 2008 from UCLA. I did a lot of analytics and uh, more on the, the theoretical side of, of electrical engineering. Right after that, I joined OSI Soft. Uh, I worked there mostly on the, uh, the technical and technical management side of, of the house for 11 years. Um, that's where that was where I met a lot of great, great people in the, uh, I actually was part of this whole, you know, one, one way or another, uh, the community side of OSI soft. So I, I, chances are I've met a lot of the, the audience here throughout the years there. Mm-hmm. And, um, toward the, the end of my career there, um, we started a data science program for the company which I then uh, uh, basically took with me and continued uh, at my new job, uh, which um, started just shy of a year ago at Cisco I started, um, which is continuation of basically applying data and data science to Mm -hmm. to business toward uh, digital transformation. Excellent, thank you, Ahmad. That was a very, very, very good intro. Okay, so we were we were talking a little bit about about uh, before the podcast here and what we could talk about and some of the stuff that you've been up to and you mentioned a couple of things and the first thing that that I really really am interested to hear about is you're talking about bottlenecks and you're talking about you know where are the problems that uh, companies companies are experiencing along the whole chain of trying to take data and bring value out of it you know um, and your you know your insight into that because you've been you know, you've been doing this for quite a while. I, I think you've been doing it longer than most people have and have been thinking about these problems around operational data. And, you know, how, how, can, how can we use this data and, you know, getting into the data science aspects of it, which is, you know, super hot topic right now with predictive analytics and all those types of things. So, yeah, I'm really, I'm just going to kind of open it up and let you go whatever direction you want with that. And I'll uh, try to ask some intelligent questions as much as I can. But, uh, yeah, I'm all ears. So, what do you think? What's what's what are, where are the problems these days? So yeah, let me let me start. That's a great question, by the way. Let me start with uh, a little bit of a uh, quick historical context. So 
this whole idea of digital transformation automation or artificial intelligence uh, is not a new concept. You know, many decades mm-hmm. ago, a lot of very smart people started to think about this. But then back then, mostly the issue was technological. So there was not enough compute power or memory in computers um, or you know, data gathering um, issues. Anyway, it, that was the bottleneck. And maybe what I, what, I, what I will talk about briefly has roots in that, like that mm-hmm. we, we all inherit that way of thinking about the problem. Uh, so I actually personally learned uh, this whole thing the hard way through failure. So there's nothing glorious about like I'm not <laughs> I'm not too smart or anything like that. It's just uh, uh, it it I, I paid the price myself. So yeah. basically, if you and and I'm a more technical person uh, from that community as opposed to uh, you know what people call line of business. I, I I personally have to rely on the subject matter experts to understand. The, the nuances of any problem that I'd like to solve. And I'm talking about anything, you know, including uh, what I had to deal with day in, day out in uh, when I was at OSI Soft, like manufacturing or chemical uh, processes or right. power utility kinds of problems. Or now that I'm at Cisco, we are talking about like customer experience kind of problems where we're going to optimize a, a, a user's uh, experience with a product leveraging data. Uh, they're very different problems, but what they have in common is that as a technical person who knows like data and technology, for every single one of them, uh, me or anybody in my team, we have to rely very heavily on these subject matter experts, mm-hmm. which kind of it, this piece brings me uh, closer to the bottleneck. So if, if you, you know, if I take you back to eight years ago, 10 years ago, when I started to, you know, like uh, dabble a, a little with R and Pi data back mm-hmm. then um, and, and look at look at some, some you know, some very simple problems. Um, our mindset was that, you know, how, how can we make this work, you know, to bring Pi data in an effective way, automated way into uh, a R environment uh, that's reliable and all of those nuances about um, making the technology work. Um, and then, you know, fast forward a few years, you realize that, okay, we, we did that. And there are, there are many more advanced tools out there, not only for, you know, making the data pipes work, also mm-hmm. data science models, you know, out of the box, you can get, you know, pretty decent predictive models out or classification, um, you know, segmenting your, your observations. You can get a lot done with, uh, the types of like AWS or, um, or, or Microsoft Azure, Google mm-hmm. Cloud, all of them offer a lot of technology. Um, the problem is, the biggest problem right now is, you know, your technical team, your data and uh, data science teams, uh, they come into the table with a certain uh, set of skills that, mm-hmm. you know, covers covers an area, stops stops at a, at a spot, right. your line of business people, they have their questions like, I want to increase my, my renewal rate for this SaaS product uh, by at least 5% um, in a year. Mm-hmm. Or I want to increase the yield of this process by this much uh, over six months. And they know their business, their, their knowledge stops at the point. Between these two endpoints, where these two teams stop, 
typically in, in the, the businesses today, there is a, there's a significant gap. There's a chasm there. And, okay. uh, and these, are, these are real conversations. I'm not making things up. I've been in conversations where the technical team says, well, I can solve your problems if you tell me what you want to solve and you give me your data and you just leave me alone, I can solve it for you. And then the business side says, well, you have the data, you have to tell me where the opportunities are. And you know, from there, I know I can move this number by, by 10% in a year, you tell me. And they stop, they're stuck. Um, mm. So, so that to me is, uh, you know, whenever I'm 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 approached by anybody in, in at the company to to solve a problem, the first thing I tell them is that hey, technology is is there. Don't worry about that. This is the bottleneck. We have to create. We have to bridge this chasm. We have to create some overlap of knowledge be- between these two sides before anything can materialize. So let me pause right here. Okay. Back to you, Lonnie. Does it make sense? Yeah. So it sounds like. Uh... You know, I know one of the things is uh, technical and business people can talk different languages, right? And um, and I know sometimes that's that's difficult to overcome when when you're trying to figure out, you know, what what are we going to solve or how are we going to solve it? And and two different people are ta- two different groups are kind of talking about it in different ways. Um, but it sounds like what you're talking about this overlap that doesn't exist. It sounds like it has to do with. Um, just the the business kind of wanting to have uh, more guidance from the technical people as far as where where the value could be and the technical people are kind of like wanting to get the guidance from the business people as far as what value they'd like to see and and so they're so they're kind of looking at each other asking each other that question and it, it seems like um you know that that's where maybe the you know where where like you said it stops is that does it sound kind of along the lines of what you're talking about that's exactly right, and and um, for uh, for my uh, I guess too proud vantage point of being a technical person, I, I thought you know the hardest part, the most uh, daunting challenge is my field, technical. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know everybody has to come to me with their problem and and we'll solve it for them. But what I learned was that actually this part what I just described is mm-hmm. actually quite a bit of challenge finding people, you know, these um, unicorns, if you like, who have enough understanding of both sides mm-hmm. or at least experts on one side, but at least, you know, enough understanding of the other side. It's a really hard uh, set of or combination of skills uh, yeah. to, to, to be found, or you have to invest in it and, let your data scientists to spend time with your line of business for a significant amount of time. You can literally sit with them, go. Uh, and and I, I learned it from actually a few really brilliant people in the, the operations field mm-hmm. that, um, so there was, there was this lady that uh, she was a academic. Um, she quit to, to join industry uh, she was teaching data science, you know, very highly technical, very, very accomplished. Mm-hmm. She was at some point telling me that she spends sometimes, you know, hours per day, like day in, day out on the shop floor with the, that technician or that, that, um, that worker on the shop floor to learn their language, you know, asking any, any potential question coming to mind, you know, why am I seeing steam coming out of that, that pipe? Why, mm-hmm. why this is hot? Why this is cold? Why is, what does it mean? Uh, 
that's the level that you need to get your hands dirty before you can go back at your desk or laptop and, and start uh, crunching numbers. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you you either are stuck at that at that you know, one end of the chasm and solve the wrong problem, or uh, another example I've seen from a, actually a very well well known huge organization which is which is not going to be named here, but this is a real story <laughs> uh -huh. uh, that. In OSIsoft, we used to work with this organization going to these customers to join forces. OSIsoft pro provides data. That organization provides the science skill set for you know, one customer at a time. And uh, the data science solution came up basically finding that the signal is the signal. Basically, they, they, didn't, they didn't have any idea about what data means, the, 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 the line of business. So the solution that they, they spent two or three weeks to develop basically just discovered uh, something that was on day one was obvious. It, it didn't add. They were like, yeah, duh. This is the, the <laughs> thing that, that, that turns this red light on. You just told us that when the red light is on, the red yeah. light is on. Yeah. When, you, when you've turned the light switch on, the red light comes on. Uh, we made this great discovery and they're just like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a, so, so I got a question for you on this then. Um, it seems like it's going to be a pretty tough role for somebody that's doing data science to go in and, you know, learn, learn a process or a business or whatever it is to, to the degree you're talking about, because it, 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 it's almost like you, you really, what you really want to have is like a veteran, right. In the business, somebody that. Um, you know, when I worked at a plant before, there's always like these people, they just know everything. Um, they know all the stuff about operations. They kind of understand the business. They understand how the business makes money. And those people just really understand things inside and out. And, and I'm not even talking about SMEs so much. I'm talking about more like people that just really understand uh, the operations, operational side of it. And, you know, somebody in the data science would never be able to come in and get, a, and get that level of of understanding uh, that that person has. So how how would it, is it possible even for, you know, a, somebody, and, and have you seen it, I guess, is, would be would be maybe more of a better question. Have you seen where you've seen these people team up, a data science person team up and basically kind of work under uh, this operational person that could really help them out and, and, just, and just start um, and just be there and 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 work together. Does that work, or is it is it still not able to cross cross over that chasm like you're talking about? Yeah. So um, let me start by uh, uh, by by saying that it, it is a challenge. It, it's not easy because it deals with people's mindset in many cases, and a big factor in in the level of difficulty is actually how um, old the organization is the older the harder mm -hmm. um so there's this gentleman called the eric colson is the chief algorithm officer i think is the official title at stitch fix he's a great thinker um about like data and automation and how, how to approach these kinds of problems he actually a, a couple of years ago he had this blog post actually it's pretty pretty um dark the, the the message in the the, the post <laughs> uh it basically says if if your organization 
or a organization is old, it's extremely difficult to 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 make the, that change because of all the legacy, which is not just about the technology. It's all the all of the processes, all of the mindsets, all mm-hmm. of the ways that people always say, "But this is how to do this thing," and I see. this is what I've how I've been doing this for twenty years. So you need, especially if your organization and most of these organizations that, um, you know, back in the OSI days, we used to deal with, they are, I don't know, 50 year old, 100 year old organizations where data and automation are afterthoughts after many decades, they start thinking about these. So it's, it is hard. So let me start there. Uh, Hence, it takes quite a bit of investment and willingness, not only by your uh, like rank and file, but mm-hmm. also it's a must. You have to have very powerful executive sponsorship and support, very vocal, very visible to say, this is not a nice to have. This mm-hmm. is how we are going to run our business from this point on. So s- somebody high up with enough power and enough power to sell a message has to sell the message that hey, team, we have to expect a, a rocky road ahead because the way we do business is, is going to change in a dramatic way. Otherwise, people are going to get stuck and, and people are going to get disappointed after the first failure and say, see, this is not for us because mm-hmm. there will be failures for sure. Mm-hmm. Only when you have that kind of support, only when you have the right people in your team, uh, and the expectation is set that, hey, you have to be ready to learn, you know, paint a little bit outside the line and learn about this other side. And I'm talking about both sides. You have mm-hmm. to teach your business people to think like a data, data person, think like a data scientist. And in many cases, they have to go back to uh, to drawing board. And I can give you a real example where it did work. So, um I, I, I've been in an organization where when I joined the team, the team, the data science team was extremely powerful. They, they had a lot of models already working. Mm-hmm. And when I say working, it means when you push the data in, it creates uh, a prediction, you know, in, in those cases right. at a very high quality. But the problem was uh, out of, I don't know, 30 models, 28 of them were sitting on the shelf, uh, just gathering dust um, mm. because they were created in a silo and that, you know, they solved the problem that the business didn't care about. So uh, what we did was we created this expectation that, hey, go learn about the other side. Uh, it does take time. It does take investment. So, mm-hmm. so they literally sat together hours at a time going into the the nuances of uh the 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 problem at hand for the business Mm -hmm. which actually resulted in the business people the line of business experts to actually they had to go back and redesign from ground up a lot of their processes because the way of approaching a rule completely rule-based system was completely different Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in, in several occasions uh, to a data-based or, or automated data science-based approach. So, so the willingness has to be there from both sides to, to create this overlap. 
Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I think that uh, you know, it sounds it sounds kind of like the innovator's dilemma, right? Where, um, like you said, the way that the way that it's been happening for however many decades is actually kind of the is 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 going to be a roadblock um, when you're when you're trying to rethink all this. And and so if um, so we're like uh, so you know if you look at you know I I talk about Tesla a lot because they always come up when I when I start thinking about this and that how they how they approached making an automobile you know one of the one of the things that they had going for them early on is that they they didn't make automobiles so they could they could just start you know figuring out how to how to make a car and people kind of thought it was like ne- they were never going to be able to do it and um, and now now you look at them they're probably going to be you know you know the biggest audio maker in the world uh you know, in the next decade. And it's just, it's, it's amazing, but, but they've been able to go now when they started out, I think like, like you said, it's a rocky road, right? When they started out, it wasn't, it wasn't certain they were going to be able to do this and they weren't, they didn't know that they'd be able to do it. And, um, and they had a lot of, a lot of iterative processes going and failures and things like that, you know, cars catching on fire or whatever, but now, you know, they've come out of it so much stronger and, and it looks so much different than any other automaker. Um, so is it kind of one of those things where it's really you kind of you got to just be willing to go back to 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 the beginning and just and you know the first principles and just start working through it with uh, with 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 now all the new technology that we have. Uh, yeah. So in many cases, it 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 ends up being you have to you have to rethink a lot of the things that you have you have you know grown accustomed to which makes it, that's the root of the challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, when you look at the data and what it reveals, in many cases can be quite counterintuitive, which is, you know, what actually makes it so valuable uh, because it uncovers a lot of, a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's one aspect of it. You're absolutely right. Uh, the other aspect is, especially when you when you you're in the earlier phases, the typical way that the that the project or product you know gets rolled out eventually is somebody makes a business case. That's a traditional traditional um, process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, somebody puts a number on it that we we expect to to add value by this much or cut costs by this much because of the, the observations in the past or because of this logic rule-based again. And then an executive says, okay, I sign off on this, let's go do it. Uh, when it comes to a lot of these data science um, projects or ideas, it's not clear, it's a catch-22. Why? Because you don't, so, so getting to a point where you, you even have an idea about the size of the opportunity that that's a kind of a mini project of its own. You have to mm-hmm. gather data, and data is not there, or data is um, dirty. Uh, a lot of th- th- these steps that I talked about, you have to you have to kind of do them uh, to get to that point that says, "Oh, looks like it's a huge opportunity," or or maybe not. Um, that means, first of all, you need to have back to the executive support, you need to have an executive who is willing to take a leap of faith and say, okay, let's go do it. And even though there's a chance of failure, mm-hmm. uh, that's that. 
for the rank and file for your line of business, you have to set the expectation that, look, you're going to do this. It's a catch-22. Looks like there might be an opportunity, but unless and until we actually put some work in, we won't know for sure. And there's a there's a real possibility that actually it, it bears empty. Uh, so uh, so you, you need to set the expectation uh, right from the get-go as well. That that's that's part of how it how it works. But then hopefully, if you have enough people and enough insight into the problem, you pick up enough good opportunities that um, that eventually you know starts to to convince people that there's there's something there. The, the flip side of uh, what I ta- what I said about these you know older industries or more mature industries, mm-hmm. it's more challenging. But the flip side is actually that, that exactly because of that, usually there there are so many low hanging fruits ready mm-hmm. to be just picked. So, sometimes it's I, I used to call them uh, actually even in f- uh, fruit on the on the ground. It's not even low hanging. They're <laughs> <laughs> I like that fruit uh, on the ground. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so, uh, so there's, so bottom line, if I you know, wrap up a lot of these different points, uh-huh. um, you know, there's quite a bit of like soft skills, you know, like vision plus convincing salesmanship, setting the expectation, right. Uh, bringing the right people into the mix. There's a lot of that that needs to go right um, for that thing to start making the first win, which is the most important thing, nothing speaks louder than 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 win. Um, and to get to that point, to get the first or second cases right, which makes everything ten times easier from that point on, uh, all of these boxes need to be checked, which is far beyond just the technology or or just mm-hmm. the data. That's my bottom line point. Wow. Um... Yeah, it. Part of my, um, I guess, when when I hear you say that, part of the first thing that's jumping into my mind, from my from my experience in companies where it's been a tough road, which is which has been more common than than not, is that uh, at the executive level, there's a, I don't know, I, I I hate to use the word unrealistic expectation, but 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 essentially it's it's one of these things where there's there's a lot of promise and and there's a belief that this is going to this is this is like you know number one they're like okay we've got to do it but then the second thing is that there's a like a very high level of expectation that there's going to be success early on and then when when and then and then as you get into it and everybody's trying to figure out these things and all of a sudden the money's being spent but nothing's it seems like nothing's happening or there's no results or the team just uh, hasn't the right team hasn't been formed, or whatever it might be. There's all kinds of things that happen that cause these, you know, some of the stuff we've been talking about. But that that commitment, um, or the vision, maybe even isn't really wasn't there like like it needed to be. Have you have you seen that happen? Because I I just feel like you know everybody wants to see. Okay, we're spending millions of dollars. What are we getting out of it? You know, and they're asking you know, six months, one year, one and a half years, two years. And at some point they're like, uh, why are we doing this again? <laughs> you know, and they're, and, they, and, and there's, and it just kind of like stops and, and everybody's trying to figure out, okay, where do we go now? Um, now that that happened and that wasn't good. 
because everybody thought there would be you know something happening great in the beginning and it and and that didn't happen have you have you have you noticed that at all yeah yeah absolutely and um so to that point um you know i i often like to think of me and my team as educators as well um and and by that i mean we we literally created different pieces like uh some some pieces are in the form of a questionnaire which is more of a you know holding their the hand of your stakeholder to think about the right questions some mm -hmm. of some of the questions are literally designed for them to ask the question and answer by themselves uh, it they some of those questions have little impact on my team the data and data science team it's more about them to to say oh man you know this this is a great question actually i don't have an answer for it or i never thought about this which is part of part of uh, you know the the data team to be the educator as well examples are to your uh, great point uh, lani is sometimes there's an idea the idea makes sense uh there's data you know the question is okay you know i can see how it will impact the business everything checks except and these are again real based on real real examples mm -hmm. except they never thought through the whole way how this whole creation uh, data science model or whatever is going to be actually embedded integrated into the processes of the business mm. which is far from trivial you know data has to work in a totally different way uh, in a production environment than than a development environment right. uh, there are there are like uh, time delays there are governance or compliance issues there's quality issues there's compute power everything can be different there are you know you have to educate train a lot of people in a different way you have to surface it in a diff different way so some of these you know educational pieces basically helps the the, the 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 requesters the line of business to think about the whole way uh, so before they say yeah let's do it and spend millions of dollars before getting disappointed uh, after spending the money is to think about all of these questions and in many cases you know you have to work with them you have to expect a lot of questions that's part of the investment so at the end of the day you you maximize the likelihood of the thing that gets created to eventually move the needle for the business. Yeah, I have a um, great quick story on that. I think if I'm understanding you right here, uh, when I, I did a project and we were working with a, a company that did uh, scheduled maintenance, right, which is what most companies do. And they they have these pumps and they schedule them every six months to go out and do maintenance. And so they thought it would be really, really great um, to do a to do a more of a, um, a time-based, uh, you know, usage-based model where then they could go and, and only go and do maintenance on these pumps after X number of hours of operation. And they weren't even tracking how, how many hours they're running. So anyway, we, we started tracking how many hours they were running. And then the question came, okay, well, um, that introduces a new problem, right? Is actually, how are we going to schedule our maintenance? Because we don't know when an asset is going to hit that, hit the point where it needs to have the maintenance done. And, it's, and if you even go one step beyond that, where it's predictive type of thing where, okay, something's going to start failing or whatever, or showing signs of wear and you need to do maintenance based on that, 
all of a sudden you're you're in this new dynamic with your with your maintenance people where they all these years they've been doing it you know every six months now they're gonna do it how when nobody really knows right and how much lead time do they have and how do they what happens if they have too many of them to do at one time and so it bring up like all these other things that they were just not prepared to deal with, <laughs> you know? And so it kind of like, it kind of made the whole, oh, well, we could we could do it this way. It, on paper, it'll save all kinds of money because you're not, you're reducing your maintenance costs and, you know, and extending the life of your equipment. And and so it seems like a great idea, but, but implementation is a whole nother problem, you know? Absolutely. That's, that's exactly, that's exactly the, um, one of the big questions that you'd be surprised how many times it gets uh, forgotten about because of the excitement of just an idea, mm-hmm. which is a great thing. You need to have it, but there's way more to it. You have to think about all these questions. Uh, the, the part that I just kind of alluded to, you know, this whole compliance, um, for, because we are all talking about data, that's a ever increasing in importance uh, topic that comes up all the time. So you, ha- you cannot start the project without thinking, uh, can I do this, this whole thing in a production environment uh, in a compliant way? Mm-hmm. Uh, can I have access to data? You know, where my model is gonna live? Uh, and, and there are you know, different aspects of like, you know, training the model, retraining the model, and then you know, uh, the, the, the model creating predictions. Uh, each each scenario will have a different uh, different need for for data, so you have to think about all of these aspects. So you kind of like you got to sit down in the beginning, right, with the, with your piece of paper and just say, okay, let's pretend that we have this model and we can do this amazing thing, right? And then and now let's plop it in our business and and then start doing what if, okay, what if we had this and now what does that mean? And then start going through, you know, uh, well, how are we going to use it? How are we going to connect it? And then how is that going to change uh, our procedures, you know, like you said, compliance and all those things. And so, yeah, that, I think that's a really, uh, yeah, that, that seems really important to do. And, and I haven't really heard that from people, you know, as, as these projects have been talked about and, and, and different companies are trying to figure out how to do them. They're really focused kind of like on that first part, not so much like, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. If we get it in there, <laughs> then what does that actually mean for us? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, that's a great, great point. Okay, well, um, I wanted to. I think we got about I don't know five ten minutes here, and you brought up something else that uh, that piqued my interest that you also were uh, willing to talk about, and um, maybe we could jump into that real quick, and you could just kind of help educate the audience here a little bit about it because I didn't know what you're talking about at all. But you mentioned there's a, there's a difference between um, uh, in data, in the data science world and, and something that you're working on is versus not, not so much predictive, but a causal analysis. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And this is actually a, a very exciting uh, newer field Um uh-huh. Uh, and, and by newer, I mean really new. Even some of the some of the math behind it is is uh, is you know just developed over the past maybe decade. Okay. Um, so basically, the different the you know the, the the way to think about it is more tra- if you go I don't know to to any typical data science program or uh, online on Coursera or or Udemy or any of these programs. Typically, what they teach you is. Uh, here, here's this set of observations in the past. 
Um, and uh, here are 10 different ways to what they call a model to, to build out of this uh, set of observations that connect um, n number of features uh, to one output, which can mm -hmm. be a number or whatever. Um, basically, the goal is assumed to be only be able to say, now in the future, if I make this you know, similar set of observations, I can predict, and predict is the keyword here, uh, with certain level of confidence, how uh, my output feature is gonna is gonna be, mm -hmm. which is very valuable. Uh, this is not the question uh, in in certain applications. The the key point here is you have to you have to be sure. Again, you know, actually it connects to the to the last topic we were talking about. Connects very well to how you anticipate your creation to actually move something in the business in the positive direction. If you're certain that you're, you decide that your use case is prediction, you know, every, everything I talked about in traditional machine learning uh, community is, is perfect, you, mm -hmm. you, you build that model. In many cases though, uh, as a result of that, you know, whatever you, you, you build uh, in a model, you eventually want to uh, take a, a certain action. Uh, for example, uh, you wanna say, hey, um, you know, we have to move whenever this temperature in this part of the, the, the process falls under 55 degrees, this, this other thing that I care about happens. You know, the quality mm -hmm. of my output goes down or up or, uh, or if you're, I don't know, if you're in a, uh, in, in a customer experience, you have a product, you have to you collect telemetry. Um, at the end of the year, you want to see this customer to renew their subscription mm -hmm. uh, and you're 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 observing a lot of observations uh customer behavior you know using this feature that feature you they join a webinar um throughout the year they open five support cases you make all of these observations which can be tens or hundreds of observations types of observation observations at the end of the day you want to say after five years observing customers behavior renewing or not renewing you want to change something because you want to, uh, we, we can we can conclusively uh, say that this factor has a causal impact on on my my customer's behavior. The the difficulty or the difference I should say between just prediction and causal is that certain things have a lot of have have great predictability power without causation. Mm -hmm. um, a simple example, like a layman example is if I ask you, if I give you one feature of, of a person being their shoe size, mm -hmm. and I ask you to predict if that person can read or write, that's a great predictor because anything over, I don't know, American sizes, I, I don't know, 33, 35, something like that, I would say yes, predict yes. I'd be very accurate because it means that person is an adult. Okay. But it's not causal. You cannot expect to buy a baby a bigger shoe and all of a sudden they can read or write. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's that sounds very obvious. <laughs> exact examples, ex but but they're much harder to see. Happens in 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 business. Many mm -hmm. things are they have they're they're great predictors, but in many cases there's a third factor causing both that thing that you 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 can you can you you think is the reason, 
and the actual thing that uh, you care about, both of them are driven by a third feature, a third cause, which is which is actually owning the the causal factor. So, so uh, long story short, uh, the whole uh, the whole um, literature here in the causal analysis is to uh, from data extract causal relationships, not just prediction. Mm-hmm. To say, look, um, this feature has causal impact on feature A, on, on, on feature B, which then it, in its turn has a causal impact on feature C. So basically building this, you can think of it as a directed graph. Mm-hmm. Not only that, it also measures the impact. So uh, it basically gives you a way to prioritize your actions uh, taken from from top to bottom. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, examples are uh, in the in my in my uh, continuing my last example uh, from your customer behavior, uh, you can you can then see in this graph that look looks like, you know, if the customer uses this feature of the product, uh, actually, it has a negative impact on renewal. Which is not just prediction. It 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 gives you a way to say to go back to your product team and say, look, fix this thing. Something's wrong with this this feature. Mm-hmm. Or uh, another example is in the other direction. If you see that there's a causal relationship in the positive direction, whoever joins, you know, five or more webinars throughout the year. Uh, there's something good about these webinars in a causal way. So you mm-hmm. actually, you go to your marketing team and say, double down on this thing because this thing moves the needle. It's not wow. just a predictor. So, wow. so, so that's the, the distinction for the cases, use cases where eventually you want to get to an action. You want to show the levers to, to whoever cares about it. Wow. That would be, that's pretty interesting. And so I guess, I'm just thinking about, in, you know, as an operations person, operational data, if I'm in a manufacturing plant or, or if I'm doing a process, would this be kind of similar to like, okay, you're, you, you really kind of learn, um, you, you not only do you, I mean, most people kind of intuitively like learn, uh, when they're doing stuff, right. Oh, if I do these things, it'll make it better or make it worse. If I adjust these settings or whatever it is, but this would be more of even, um, I guess just uh, better defining what, well, maybe defining some of the things that people didn't realize it had an impact and then maybe, um, and then being able to say which things are going to have bigger impacts based on certain conditions. And then, um, and then, and so that, that, that would give, if you're, if you're, if you're doing operations or somebody, something like that, that would give people that um, maybe even people that maybe even people are removed completely or, or they're, or make recommendations as far as what should happen, what somebody should be doing. Um, yeah, so uh, that's pretty interesting. Hmm. Have you have you seen this being applied successfully yet, or is it still so new that it, people are trying to figure out how to use it? No, no. Actually, we we just um, actually so so this this one connects a lot of the the topics we were, we were talking about. So. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in my newer role in at Cisco, mm-hmm. so we have uh, one, one of the projects we we're working on was uh, at the end of the day, in, improving the likelihood for customers, certain set of customers to uh, 
to, to, to continue to renew subscription to a certain product. And we, we, we did have access to a lot of data. Mm-hmm. The traditional uh, customer experience, all those campaigns, uh, teams was pretty much rule-based. I'm not saying that's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it, just, it just tells you how, how this whole thing connects digital and, and people together, which is very powerful. So, uh, so the intuition of, of humans were there, uh, traditional campaign was in place. What data showed through this causal analysis, it number one, equipped uh, those professionals with uh, new tool, new, new insights that they never had in the past because the data was so abundant and, and so complicated in some cases, uh-huh. they couldn't see it. It was beyond their intuition. Uh, and in actually a handful of cases, data showed completely counterintuitive results. Huh. One of them, which is actually very interesting, was that the, uh, it was it was believed, and believe is the the right the, the keyword here. Uh-huh. It was believed that uh, you know this this product has I don't know 45 different features under all these menu uh, menus uh, on the top. Uh, there were literally investments in campaigns to push customers to move all of these features. You know, the more the better. Data showed that actually it's way more nuanced than that. For for most of the features, actually, if the customer never uses the feature, it's actually not bad at all. Uh, if you look at you know we are talking on Zoom right now. Uh-huh. Um, in our case, actually, it was WebEx. Uh, exactly the same thing. There, there are many features in here that we never touch. You know, we, we are many of us are familiar with the Pi system. How many of us use all of the features in Pi? Right. It, no, it just nobody. never. Yeah. <laughs> so, so actually, zero times using a feature is not too bad at all. Mm. Uh, if the number of uses drops to a low number and stocks there, it sticks there. That that's the bad. That's the omen. Um, so you have to ch- do something about that. That has a negative causal impact on your likelihood to renew. Mm-hmm. And then if if the number of feature uh, feature usages goes like in- increases, grows, that's again a good sign because they're using it, they're happy, there must be something good going on. So it actually uh, acted as a guide to uh, to our campaign designers to focus on the right thing mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to just pushing all of the features all the time it just doesn't make sense. Just focus on the ones that that eventually acts as a lever to push up your likelihood to renew at the end of the day. So, which took, you know, everything I, I just told you took a lot of like joint sessions, painstakingly uh, on the data science side, living how the product works, how the campaigns work, and vice versa. Uh, the the campaign designers, they had to be willing to rethink everything that it, they intuitively had learned over years mm-hmm. and they literally went back to drawing board and designed um, from ground up how, how they want to approach this whole problem wow wow awesome man this sounds pretty exciting that that yeah that's really cool i'm gonna have to check it out um find start looking into this a little bit more i, I really like the whole this how how we're in this this interview here, you know, talking about all these problems w- around projects and businesses and, you know, line of businesses, data scientists, and how, where, where do you, you know, what, what are you going to, what are you actually going to do? How are you going to implement it? Um, and this, uh, you know, the causa- causation, causational part of it, 
I could see definitely how that would fit in because, you know, now we're really getting back to these actions that you can take that are going to, that are going to make a difference, you know, that are going to cause something good to happen. Um, and what, what actions actually are those? Because I think that it seems like a lot of, uh, there is a lot of guessing kind of going on and, 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 and intuition and whatever, and maybe some obvious things that have already been worked on before, but it seems like, you know, a predictive model would be great. So we'll use that, but, but it's still, it still feels somewhat, uh, I mean, all of this seems pretty random at times, you know, as far as how people are going to approach it. So this is, this is pretty interesting. Um, man, Ahmad, I think we're just about out of time. So I guess we better wrap it. We're running a little over anyway. Sorry to keep you. Uh, this has been really great. So if people want to uh, contact you, find more out about what you do or whatever, um, how's, what's a, what's a good way for them to reach, reach you? Sure. I'm, I'm as active as anybody on LinkedIn. That's, that's the, that's the, that's the way. best okay. way forward. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, uh, Lonnie, if you have typically you have other ways through your channel, you know, that'd be, that'd be up to you, but typically I work, uh, work through LinkedIn. Okay, cool. LinkedIn's great. That'll work. Um, yeah. Uh, anything else that you, any, any closing thoughts that you, that you have? Anything that you want to bring up that we didn't that we didn't talk about? I know there's a bunch of other things we could always talk about. Uh, sure. So uh, I I talked uh, a lot about like pitfalls and you know challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, I I want to leave on a or leave everybody with a with a more positive note. So everything I said actually the flip side of the challenge is the opportunity, and um, a great person uh, is a very smart person, uh, David Geckler. Uh, I, I never forget. He said that, and you can Google him. He's a fantastic guy. Um, he said that actually mid his career, he learned that the opportunities where the uncertainties are and the challenges are. So uh, where, where things are solidified and clear, yeah, you can work there at peace, but you know, typically opportunities are not that much in there. So everything I said, the positive side of it is that actually there's a lot of opportunity because of these challenges maybe nobody approached them or had the tenacity or the skills to, to approach them and especially these large uh companies who typically are older as challenging as the 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 mission is uh you know the rewarding they are so um low-hanging fruit you know big opportunities uh you're not fighting fighting for 0.1% improvement. In many cases, you're you're talking about like 5% increase, 10% increase, which is huge for these industries. So, I want to leave everybody with this more like positive, uh, yeah. positive message. So it's worth it, right? It's worth it's Absolutely. worth the effort. Do it. It's worth it. Um, you know, it's not easy, but you know, it's it's. Don't forget the yeah. The, there's there's a reason that everybody's wanting to get in on this because because it can be, yeah, a big. It can make a big difference. That's awesome. Well, thanks again, Ahmad, for for coming on and doing this podcast. I really enjoyed uh, the time um, that we had here. Um, so uh, yeah, that's it today, everybody. Um, I'm Lonnie Bowling, and I hope you join me again for next time um, for the Time Lords podcast. Thanks, Ahmad. Thank you, Lonnie. It was a pleasure.